Good morning. <laughs> All right. Um, it is good to be here with you this morning. And it's good to uh, be gathered with you worshiping uh, the Christ who came to save. Mighty Savior. And I pray that your heart just erupts with gladness and joy in the greatness and gravity of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray together before we get into God's Word. Uh, Father, God, again, Lord, I thank You for this day. Father, I thank You for those that are gathered here with us to worship and adore You. And so, Father, I pray that today, that, Father God, You would open up the truth that is contained in Your Word. And, Father, that as we hear the truth proclaimed, I pray that, Lord, You plant it deep within our heart, and that, Father God, we would be sanctified by it, Lord, just as Jesus Prayed. He said, Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so, Father, I pray that that supernatural transaction takes place in here today. Father, I pray that you give us those eyes to see. I pray, Father, that you, uh, Lord, give us those ears to hear. I pray, Father, that You loosen our wills to rightly respond to Your truth. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, if you've got your copy of the Word of God with you, I invite you to turn again to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. Um, it seems like two months since I've been with you, although it's just been two weeks. But two long weeks ago, the last time I had the privilege of being together with you, we settled in Hebrews chapter 10. We camped out in um, verse number 26 through verse number 31, which encapsulates one of the most frightening texts in the New Testament. No doubt about it. Um, matter of fact, I, I stole my title for that message right out of verse 27 two weeks ago and titled that message, A Fearful Expectation. Because there were some frightful things that we came face to face with in our text two weeks ago. Let me remind you of some things the Holy Spirit said through the writer of Hebrews in the passage that we looked at. Um, in verse 26, we saw that if we deliberately go on sinning after having received a knowledge of the truth, that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Wow. A place where 
There's no sacrifice for sin. No, no, no way of walking in and experiencing forgiveness. That's what the text said. Verse 27, but verse 27 tells us all that remains for us is a fearful expectation of fury, of the fire that will consume the adversaries. And then there was verse 29 where we had a stinging rhetorical question where the writer goes on and says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? And then that section we looked at closed out in verse 31 where the Holy Spirit reminds us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Wow. Now those words, they're not theoretical. That's not an empty threat. Those words deliver a real warning for those that are gathered in the community of faith. For those that gather in the visible church. For those that submit themselves to the place where truth is taught. Where the Gospel is declared. And I use that saying those who have gathered here because everyone that is gathered here may not have truly received the knowledge they've heard of the truth or the Gospel. And this is a very real warning for that. The, there's a, it's a warning that, if you will recall, if you turn away from Christ, if you trample Him underfoot, if you run away from the Christ that you verbally professed, this is a real Warning, if you apostatize and never return in repentance. This is a real warning. It's a real warning for those in the church that affiliate with the church but have never been born again. It's a real warning for them. You see, um, the lost church member. And that, that's a such thing. It exists. The lost church member has no root in Christ. The lost church member has no foundation on Christ upon which their life is built. And so you have troubles and tribulations and trials and things come along in their life. And they, according to Jesus in the parable of the sower, they spring up and they quickly fall away. Or, some great temptation comes along and the temptation is looked at as more precious and more beautiful than Jesus and they drop Jesus like a bad habit and forget that Jesus was ever really a part of their life which He never truly was a part of their life. 
Those are the ones whom this warning is real and is for. You see, these early Jewish believers in Jesus, these Hebrews to whom Hebrews was written, there were those that were forsaking the assembling of themselves together. There were those that were turning away and beginning to uh, get hush-hush about this Jesus and beginning to live as if they had not embraced this Jesus because the Orthodox Jewish Hebrew establishment was bringing persecution upon them and they might even lose their lives. So some of them just abandoned Christ. And they were in great danger of the warning that is being given in this text. You see, they could be beaten, they could be stoned, they could be killed. So, the Holy Spirit breathes out a very negative warning. And it, in the passage we saw the last time we were together, it is, a, it is shock and awe, if you will, to grab the attention of saints prone to wander. And it's shock and awe, more pertinently, there for those who are damned in the church between the pulpit and the pew and are in great danger of of experiencing this place where there remains no sacrifice for sin. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and fury fire. Now, the way of the Spirit is to never leave His true child with a negative warning. Only. Never to just leave you there. He never leaves His true child there. He always speaks a word of encouragement and compassion following that for His true child. You see that in the ministry of Jesus. Over and over. Jesus, what would He do? Jesus would deliver a hard word. A hard word to His disciples. I'm thinking about the time when they encountered the rich young ruler and Jesus told them that it was easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then one of the disciples says, Oh God, Lord, that's a hard saying. Who can be saved? And I'm sure they were all freaking out. And Jesus looked at them with a great word of compassion and said, What's impossible with you is possible with God. Okay. Now, they would have never got to the place to where they were really longing to hear and know it is impossible for me to save myself, but it's possible with God had they not been shaken up by the negative warning first. The negative comment, the hard saying. That's just the way. It works in this fallen world. And so, the negative is like a dagger to cut off and kill the flesh. And the positive that follows is like fresh power to press on. The negative and the positive work together in the life of the true child of God to cause them to press on and persevere. 
They work together like that. Now, today. Today, we will embrace the soothing because you see what follows this particular passage in Scripture that we camped in last week with that frightful warning, that confident expectation, that fearful expectation is a confident expectation. It is a good thing. And we're going to pick up in verse 32. And I want to read on down through the remainder of this chapter here this morning. So take your copy of God's Word and let's read it. And I would, whereas I titled last, the beginning of this chapter, A Fearful Expectation, I dropped the title over this, A Confident Expectation. And those of us that have been born again, those of us that have truly experienced the saving grace of God, those of us who have been touched by the Master, how I pray that these words will be spiritually beneficial to you in helping you in your struggle to persevere. Amen? All right. Well, let's read beginning in verse 32. I'm going to go back and read verse 31 from the last time we were together and just to kind of give you a feel of the flow. He says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but, <laughs> juxtaposed compared to everything he's just said, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while... And the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But, <laughs> verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Hallelujah. Wow. 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 That is powerful. You see, the confident expectation for the true Christian the confident expectation for those of us that are born again. The encouraging word that He is speaking to us having just shocked us with the message of verses 26-31. through 31. Having just done it is, is encapsulated in verse 39. The final verse of this chapter, I'll read it again. We are not of 
those who shrink back and destroyed. Those who shrink back and are destroyed, like those described in verse 26 through verse 31. Those who trample underfoot the Son of God. Those who have received the knowledge of the truth, but then go on and continue in their sin of turning away from Jesus Christ. I'm not going to re-preach everything from that last message, but I've got to bring that into being so that you feel the weight of what he's saying in today's text. Wow. We are of those who have faith and preserve our souls. In quote, verse 39. Do you hear the essence of that? Chew on it. (laughs) Marinate in that glorious truth. Do you hear that? We, we who? We Christian, we true church, we are not like those who shrink back and are destroyed as those who face the damning judgment of verses 26 through 31. We, true Christian, are of those who have faith what the text says. Contextually, that is a faith that perseveres and keeps on. You don't have this faith one day and it's gone the next. It's always there. Now, sure, there's some days where that faith may be soaring high and there's some days that that faith may dip down low, but there is a consistent reality of this faith through which the grace of God is flowing into your life to save you from yourself. Wow. We Christian, by virtue of our faith, preserve and maintain our souls because we're kept by it. 1 Peter. I like 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 1 says these words. Listen to to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, that is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through what? Through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And we are not of those, verse 39, who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and so preserve their souls. God's got you. You hear me? And you've got to rest in truth like that. We are not... If we're born again, we are not like those over here. That passage is not a passage that talks about those who were saved and lost their salvation. The Armenian is wrong in that analysis. You've got to look at the whole context and see what is being said. Wow. Now, Listen to me slowly, okay? I don't want to confuse you. So listen slowly. Now, while the sovereign grace of God 
has eternally secured our ending before we ever had a beginning. Perseverance does not happen in a vacuum. Now, when I use the word vacuum, I'm not talking about that thing that sucks up dirt on your carpet that Archie Karen is constantly trying to get you to learn how to use. I'm not talking about that kind of a vacuum. I'm talking about a vacuum in which when, we, when you hear that phrase, something does not happen in a vacuum, it means it, 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 it is something that has to have outside influences on it. Things that affect it. And so, perseverance is not in a vacuum. There are spiritually practical influences that help us, to use the language of Paul and Philippians, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're not working for it, but we're working it out. And there are spiritually practical influences. And verses 32 through 38 provide us with some insight into the practical means of grace to secure the reality of verse 39, which says we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Now, there are three practical things in today's text. There are things that build confidence in the expectation that we will not fall away, but we will finish the race that was marked out for us. And the true child of God will delight in following these practical precepts and principles that are given to us here. The first one is this. In verses 32 through 34, it is imperative that we recall or remember, whichever word you want to use, his, talking about God's, past work. It is imperative that we recall or remember His past work in our lives. That is essential. Let me remind you again of what the text said beginning in verse 32. What does he say? Right after he tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, he says, but, <laughs> this is what you do, but, recall the former days. What about the former days do we want to recall? What about the former days? Is he saying to the Hebrew Christians that they need to recall? He reminds them, don't you remember after you were enlightened? that is, you came to the gospel, that you endured a hard struggle and you suffered. Some of you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. He goes on and says, but in that you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. And what he's saying is, do you not remember what you've been brought through in the past God's grace brought you through those sufferings. God's grace brought you through those trials. God's grace empowered you to have joy and an eternal reality. God's grace allowed you to respond rightly to those who even persecuted you. God was with you then. You need to remember that. Because if God was with you then, He'll be with you right now. 
So why would you give up on him? Why would you throw in the towel? If God's really been in your life in the past, how could you? You can't. So remember. Recall. Think about. Think about these things. Remembering the good, remembering God's good work in your past is pertinent and powerful for your success in your present perseverance. Wow, the writer is telling these scared Jews fearful of losing their lives. Dear children, you've been here before. God brought you through it. Remember His past deliverance. Remember what He has done for you. So I would say to you, true church, I would say to you, recall the former days. Recall yesterday's hardships, but recall yesterday's victories. Recall yesterday's experiences of grace. Let the remembrance of God's past work in you encourage you in your present struggle against sin and in suffering. If He carried you through your past, He'll carry you through your present. And you can be assured He will not forsake you in your future because God is faithful. He's faithful. And we are prone, because we're weak, we're weak. We are prone to forget what God has done. And it doesn't help us to forget. We have to be reminded. We need to call to remembrance these things. You go through the Scriptures, you, specifically in the Old Testament, you see how God would do something great in the lives of His children, the Hebrew children. And what would they do? They would set up a memorial to remember what God had done for them so they wouldn't forget what God had done for them. So that if they remembered what God had done for them, when they face the trial tomorrow, they can face it with confidence because of what God had done for them. Now you've heard me talk about the wreck that I had when I was 22 years of age. You've heard me talk about being in a coma. You've, you've heard me talk about how I, I had been married but about a year. In the beginning, they didn't know if I would live. And then when they realized I was going to live, they didn't know if I'd come out of the coma. And then when I came out of the coma, they didn't know if I was going to be right. Guys, I, I'm, I promise you, <laughs> I'm the same person <laughs> that I was. I wasn't right then, okay? But what you don't know is that in my life at that time, there were many spiritual struggles that I was going through. And having gone through that, God delivered me out of some other things that were going on in my life at that time. That birthed in me a greater confidence in my God. But guys, the further you get away from that, the less it becomes real. And sometimes I have to remind myself that that happened. Well, listen... God gave me a built-in memorial and reminder of that. 
Although I do not have any repercussions that we know of from that accident, even though I've had brain scans since then and the brain seems to be okay, all right? Even though I went through all kinds of things then, the tips of my fingers on my left hand and then the tips of my toes on my left side, I have a little bit of numbness where a nerve was severed. And sometimes I forget. I forget. And I feel that. And I'm reminded of what God has done for me. I should have died. I would have never been blessed with these two beautiful children that I have. I would have never had the experience of a wonderful, patient wife. I have to remember that. If God has done this for me in the past, why would I be so fearful? Why was I so prone to collapse in fear when a couple of years ago my main source of income was snatched out from under me and it really, really, really caused me some inner struggles with fear? I have a family to provide for. Why? I don't know why we get like that. Elijah got like that. Called down fire from heaven. And then he's off running from Jezebel. I had to remind myself during that time. Some of that. that God has brought me through so much. So much. So much. He's not going to forsake me now. So Scott, get up, walk by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Get up and walk by faith in His promises today because He's been faithful to you in the past. And He is faithful to you even when you have been faithless, writes Paul to young Timothy. Therefore, get up and keep on keeping on. Never give up. Never throw in the towel. Because in throwing in the towel, if you never pick the towel back up, you were lost from the beginning. Like Judas, a devil from the start. Wow. Recall the former days. Recall the grace of yesterday. Obey the words of the psalmist in Psalm 66 verses 1 through 9 where the text says, Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give Him glorious praise. Say to God, How awesome are your deeds so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you all the earth worships you sing praises to your name sing praises to your name selah verse 5 here it comes 
Come and see what God has done. That's past work. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds toward the children of man. He turned back the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There we did not, there did we rejoice in Him who rules by His might forever. Those who His eyes keep watch on the nation. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and He has not let our feet slip. In other words, He sustained their perseverance and their sustaining of their perseverance is somehow connected in recalling what God has done for them in their past. I'm telling you that remembering what God has done for you is crucial to pushing and pressing on in your present. It is important. It is important. Wow. Wow. This simple spiritual practice of remembering the yesterday's works of grace will empower us to do His will today. So, first thing that this text is telling us to do is to recall His past work. He's telling them recall the former days. Recall what God has done for them. And then following the logic of the text... The second thing I would tell you to do is, verses 35-36, be running in His present will. Be running in the will of God for you right now. You see, the Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 2, and verse 17, it says that this world is passing away But he who does the will of God remains forever. That implies you will persevere and not shrink back and be destroyed. And it's being connected with doing the will of God. Now, we overcomplicate the will of God and turn it into something that it's... You know, God wants me to do this with my life and be in this place and do this and do that. And though that, that, that is true on a certain level, that is not what we're talking about right here. So much of God's will is clearly revealed for all people in the Scriptures. Contextually here, let me read to you, we get some insight into the will of God for you right now in this context. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, he's just told him to be remembering the past past works of God. Remember, therefore, because of what I've just told you to do, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, that's perseverance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now, What is the will of God in that immediate context? Well, he just told you it's God's will that you do not what? Throw away your confidence. God's will is that you remain confident in Christ. That you remain confident in God. That is God's will. You need to pray it. God, 
I'm praying that I will maintain my confidence in Christ. It will not waver. It will not wane. And we know, 1 John chapter 5, we know that if we pray that which is His will, we have the confidence of knowing that having prayed His will, we have that which we have asked from Him. He will not deny you confidence. Now, it may be a growing experience. It's not an instantaneous, microwavable experience. Sometimes He takes us through stuff to give us a little confidence, and He's going to take us through more stuff that seems to be drawn away from our confidence in order to help grow our confidence even more. But the will of God here in context is that you maintain your confidence. See, we want to be like the psalmist writes like David wrote in Psalm 27. We want to be able to say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. We want that for our lives. That's God's will for your life. Pray it. Run in it. Walk in it. Because it's also God's will here in context that you persevere under fire and trial. I mean, he said you have need of endurance. That is God's will. When you have done the will of God, you see, you need endurance. Wow. Now, there's a third thing. We've talked about recalling or remembering his past work. We're talking about running in uh, his present will for your life. And third thing, we need to rest in the promises of his future grace. You see, verses 37 through 38, listen to what he says. For yet a little while, in a little while, the coming one will come. <laughs> And will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now, not only do we need to be reaching back to lay hold of that in reminding ourselves what God has done for us, we also need to be reaching forward and laying hold of the promises of what God will do in our future. And it is, I would suggest to you, the reaching back into what God has done in our past and the reaching forward to lay hold of the promises of what He will do in the future that helps stabilize us for walking forward and persevering in our present. Now, the Bible says, right here, he said, the righteous shall live by faith. My righteous one. Okay, he says that, and that, that living by faith, that's presently actively living by faith. Well, faith in what? 
Well, I told you already it's faith in His promises, but here He gives a specific promise. And it's the promise of what? His second coming. The coming one will not delay. It's His second coming, and it's the future grace of that coming. Why do you think the writer would single out that particular reality? Well, I would suggest to you that the writer singles it out because it's the Holy Spirit breathing it into being. And the Holy Spirit is keeping things in line with what the Holy Spirit has already said throughout other places in our Scripture. And for some reason, God has connected the hope of our final perseverance with the reality of the return of Christ. Do you remember places like Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6 where the Bible says and the Scripture says and the Spirit has spoken out that, 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 that God who began a good work in you, a good work in you, will carry it out until the day of completion or the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, God's going to finish what He started in you and He's going to finish it when Christ returns. You need to know that. You need to realize that if you, if you go to like 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and chapter number 4 and chapter number 5, how Paul talks about how he was going through all kinds of trials, how he was, was, was not given to despair but he, and, he, and not given to perplexity, even though he was going through all kinds of agony and trial. And he goes on and he talks about the hope of his heavenly dwelling. And he talks about how the Spirit is the guarantee of this dwelling. And then if you go and digress back to chapter uh, 15 of 1 Corinthians, he talks about how he has this great hope that, that, that one day, and that day being the day when Christ returns, he shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And he has that promise. And in each of those cases, he is connecting that promise through the fierce trials that he's going through. Trials that would a lost person would just say, I give up. I'm not dealing with this. And he's connecting it to the reality of the hope that when the coming one comes, they will be changed. You, you will experience final salvation. You will experience becoming like he is. For when you see him, you shall be like him talking about Jesus in His perfect humanity, not His deity. Wow. So, saints, it's imperative. It's imperative. True church, recall His past work. Rest in His promise of future grace. Run in His present will. For we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's what I would say to you. And then false church. False church would be those that are in the church that aren't really part of the church because they're lost. I would say to you, repent and receive Jesus Christ and Rest in His grace and renounce all of your religious self-effort and self-work and self-reliance and realize that He's mighty to save. 
He can save the most religious. If He can save the Apostle Paul, He can save you. He can save you. And then I would say to anyone who's not in a church anywhere, perhaps watching this on YouTube or or hearing this on um, Spotify, you have no affiliation with the church, you have none whatsoever, but you feel it. You want to be right with God. You feel the weight of your sin and you feel broken over it. Call out to Christ. Trust in Christ. Turn to Christ. Trust in Him. And I promise you, He is mighty to save. Mighty to save. Ladies and gentlemen, I pray. Having been stung by a fearful expectation the last time we were together, that you will walk in a confident expectation because of the greatness of the grace of God. Grace to each and every one of you. Let's pray. Father, God, we...